You know, today I want to share with you the incredible love story from Mark chapter 12, verses 1 and 12. You know, if the passage today is a movie, it will be rated R. And you will see... You see a warning sign here. The following passage contains scenes of violence and is intended for an older youth audience. Viewer discretion is advised. Actually, if you read together and really put yourself into the parable, it is somewhat violent. Let's read together. Uh, sorry. Can you help me to flip it? It's not responding to me. Okay, let's read together. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence... And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others. Some they beat, and some they killed. He had still one another, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This has the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but fear the people, for they perceived that he had told the parables against them. So they left him and went away. You know, why, why would Jesus choose such a forceful and somewhat violent parable? What has happened? And for, all, for those who followed the sequence and the series of the preaching of the Gospel of Mark, we remember in the previous passages that the confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders has escalated to a new height. And when the issue is about authority, remember last week, the issue is about authority, it is usually contentious. So it becomes more and more tense along the way. So it began with Jesus cleansing the temple. Uh, he was uh, uh, clearing the pe people, the money changers, and those who are selling and buying the sacrificial animals from the temple. And when you do such an action, naturally, Jesus challenged the authority of the religious leaders, and they were not happy with that. And when the religious leaders, which include the chief priest, the scribes and the elders, they came to ask Jesus what is the source of his authority. But knowing the evil intent of the people, Jesus refused to answer them directly. And now in Mark chapter 12, Jesus answers their questions with a parable, with a story about his authority. This is the answer. And when you ask when you ask someone to find the answer in the story, usually it is because they know that you don't like the, the answer. And the answer is about you. 
and the story helps you to absorb the answer better, hopefully. And that's why a story is being told, and that's why a parable is being used. And in this parable, we actually find God's perspective. This is God's perspective now. This is God telling you how I feel. This is God telling you what happened. This is God telling human and the nation Israel what happened to our relationships. Uh, what happened to the long and turbulent relationship between God and people, God and Israel. And that's the story in Mark chapter 12, verses 1 and 12. And this is based on Isaiah chapter 5, actually. Why was Jesus using Isaiah chapter 5 to tell the story, to, to base the whole parable on that passage? It's because the religious leaders understand the Old Testament. They know exactly what Jesus is talking about when he used the vineyard, the vineyard that represents Israel. And then Jesus said he, when he built that vineyard, he has that fence as a protection for them, and he has built a wine press for them, and he provides resources to sustain life in the vineyard. And also he built tower. A tower is an added security to make sure that you can see enemies from far away and get ready to defend yourself. So Jesus, God himself has built all these things as a blessing, as a way to establish the nation Israel. And then what happened? He leads it to the tenants. See, so God is the owner, but he delegates the responsibility of caring for the nation to the religious leaders. So in many ways, they represent the nation Israel. As the leader goes, so goes the people, right? Naturally, the leaders also represent the people. Then the season came, right? The season comes to fulfill the lease agreement. When you lease it to people, you expect the, 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 the tenants to respond accordingly, according to the season. And usually, it is to give back a percentage of the fruit that is being planted. So servants are being sent to collect the rentals, to collect the fruits they have, they have agreed upon. And this is being expressed in the nation Israel from their worship of God. It is being expressed as the commitment to God by offering sacrifices, by giving the first fruits, by giving the firstborn, and by obeying the commandment of the Lord. But the tenants acted in increasing violence, you, as you read the whole passage, increasing violence and brutality to the servants who were being sent by the owner to collect his share of the fruits. So many were sent, but they were either harassed or humiliated, or they were being killed. And finally, finally, the owner sent his beloved son, who is Jesus Christ, okay, in the story. Okay. This is the same title, beloved son. This is the same title that's, that's being given to Jesus at his baptism and also at his transfiguration. So we know exactly that that represents Jesus. Okay. But the tenant revolted against the owner. They murder his beloved son and they don't even bother to bury him. They just throw him out of the vineyard. And that's a great insult to the owner. They foolishly think that by killing the son, they can become the new owner of the vineyard. But in verse 9 says, what will the owner of the vineyard do? You know, he answered himself. He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. The owner exert his authority, execute judgments on the tenants and gave the 
vineyard to others, to other nations, to other people, to others who are willing to do it according to the owner's way, God's way. And then in verse 10, he quoted from Psalm that says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That Jesus is the stone that is being rejected by the builders. That he was being rejected by the nation Israel. He was rejected by the religious leaders. But he has become the cornerstone. He has become the foundation of a new establishment of the kingdom of God. Of whoever who are willing to allow God to rule in the hearts. He becomes their cornerstone. And he will give new life. He will give new meaning. He will give new purpose to the kingdom of God and to those who enter into the kingdom of God. And this is the Lord's doing. This is God's plan of salvation throughout the history. And it is marvelous in our eyes to the beholders who believe in this, to the beholders who understand God's plan of salvation. This is beautiful in your eyes. And of course, in verse 12, the Bible says that the religious leader did they find the answer? You bet. They know exactly what Jesus was talking about. So they were seeking to arrest him, but fear the people because they perceive that Jesus has told the parable against them. They know exactly that they are the tenants, okay, who killed, who murdered, who harassed, who beaten up all the servants being sent throughout history, including the beloved son. But they were fearing the people. So they left him and went away. But they will come back in two days and crucify Jesus. And that's what they will do. And Jesus told the story as a way to inform our people, myself and you today, of three lessons. Uh, the next slide, please. Thank you. An owner way to patience. You know, as I prepare the sermon, as I read the, the passage through the parables over and over again, that's how I felt. You know, the owner is just way too patient. He is way too patient because he's way too loving. First Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. That's why he's so patient. You know, as listener on, of the story, we almost want to jump in and interrupt the story and say, enough, that's enough. Teach them a lesson. Teach the tenants a lesson. This is way too much. The tenants are taking advantage of your love. You know, they think that you are soft. There's a limit to second chance, right? How many second chances do you intend to give until you come in and do the confrontation, right? It is way too patient. You know, some of the parents out there, you can relate to that, right? Went to discipline when to step in, when to say no, when to draw the line, uh, maybe one more chance, maybe another chance, maybe another chance. We, we feel the tug of hearts as we raise children, as they grow into adolescence, as they grow older. We always felt that, that tension in our hearts. That's what love will do to you. When love is involved, it just complicates things. You want to do it? You don't want to do it. You want to step in. You don't want to step in. You give one more chance, another chance. Maybe not. Maybe yes. That's love. And this is being portrayed, portrayed in this parable of God's love to people. And today, actually, we are reading the history of salvation for mankind. 
that God has been patient with rebellious mankind who revolt against him in so many ways. And over the years, he has sent servants to collect what belongs to him, the loyalty, the worship, the commitment, the, the obeying of God's law, but to no avail. Okay. He sent judges to rule the nation Israel and bring them back to God. They come back and rebel again. They come back and sin again. He, he established kingship for them, but some kings are okay. Others are not so well. So it works sometimes. It doesn't work sometimes. He sent prophets. Some they killed. Others they harassed. Some they beheaded. Okay. And then he sent his beloved son, Jesus. Okay. Some will receive Jesus. Others rejected Jesus. But again, God never gives up on mankind. He sends apostles to share the gospel. He sent missionaries to share his gospel. He sent Christians to be in your workplace, in your neighborhood. He built churches around this place and other, around other places so that people can hear of the love of God and love of Jesus. There are books available. There are medias. Uh, there are different ways, and they are in the social media, they are in the internet, of, of different ways that God is exposing us to his love. But again, many, many times we see mankind rebel against God. You know, if you look at the heart of God in the book of Jeremiah, Chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. It says, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only, only acknowledge your guilt and you rebel against the Lord your God and scatter your favors among foreigners under every green tree and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Return. O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. God is calling to the nation of Israel, but God is calling to this world to return to him. And as long as we acknowledge our guilt, he will extend his love to us. He will extend his salvation to us. That's the heart of God. God is way too patient. Because God is way too loving to continue to shower His love and His patience to wait for people to respond to Him. You know, in the book of Hosea, God is being portrayed as a, as a broken-hearted lover in the next slide. You can see that in Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. He delivered them from the slavery in Egypt. The more they were called, the more they went away. Do you sense that sometimes? The more you know God's word, the more you are just colossal to it. The more you are just obstinate, right? And they kept sacrificing to the bells and the burning offerings to idols. They'd rather choose other gods than the true God. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took his hand. I took them up by their arms. But they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. God was expressing his love to the nation of Israel as a representative that will extend God's love to other nations and yet to no avail. The next slide will tell you in chapter 11, verses 8 to 9. It says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? 
a broken-hearted lover. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Edma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? Edma and Zeboim are the two cities that were destroyed while Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. How can I destroy you, Israel? I can't do that. My heart recoils within me. That's what love does to you. The heart recoil. I want to do it. I don't want to do it. One more chance. One more chance. Another time. Maybe they will change. I will wait some more. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man. The Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. That's the heart of God. Amazing love. Amazing love. The owner. God. Way too patient with mankind. But if you move to the next slide and see the second point, the second lesson we want to share with you, is the tenants way too wicked. The tenants are just amazingly wicked. And that contrast, the owner way too patient and contrast with the tenants way too wicked, heighten God's patience and that even deepen the wickedness of the tenants by the contrast that you see there. And in the parables, the tenants are being portrayed, being depicted uh, as, as wicked in the way, the way they treated the servants. The servants are a picture of all the messengers that God has sent to Israel to rescue them, to ask them to return to God. Like Jeremiah, Jeremiah was bitten and he was jailed, right? They sent, God sent Elijah. Elijah has to run for his life. Okay? And God sent John the Baptist to be the forerunner for the Messiah. John the Baptist was beheaded. You know, this is a portrayal of the rebellious nature of mankind. We try to seize control of everything and foolishly think that we can push God out of the picture. We raise our feast against God thinking that we can fight God. You know, we can't even say no to drugs. We can't even say no to depression and hatred and violence. But we push God away. We push God away out of our constitution, out of our classroom, out of our marriage, out of our family, out of our workplace, out of our life. Human nature is such that we want to break free from God. But you know what? When we break free from God, there's nothing else to look to. We have nothing else to look forward to. We are not any happier. In fact, we are more miserable than ever before. Our freedom did not bring us closer to realize our potential. It actually pushes us deeper into selfishness, self-centeredness, and vanity of life. And loneliness is killing us because we don't know how to relate to one another. We don't know how to relate to loved ones. We don't know how to relate to our neighbors and our friends. We become lonelier and lonelier. In the struggle and when the wrestle with God, we scream, we shout, we kick. We want good life without God. We want to kill the idea of God. We can't explain life without God. And yet, at the same time, as we push God away, we are afraid. We feel insecure. We are a complex bundle of desires and impulses and confusions. We want to move to the moon and the Mars. I would say, please don't do that. You will ruin the moon. You'll ruin the Mars. 
The problem is not the earth is not sustainable. It's the human that makes it unsustainable. When we start establishing habitats in Moon and the Mars, we bring all the plastics there. We bring all the pollutions there. Wherever any planets we go as human beings, we will ruin that place. We can't run. We can't run away. We can't run away from ourselves. See, you can go, you can hide, you can, you can create new place. Science can help you to do that. But the human heart will bring ruins to whatever we create. And that's what happened. So as we push God away, we make idols. We create gods to fulfill our desires, to, to meet the desires for worship. But the wrong kind of God, we want our kinds of God. So we created God in our own image. We call it idols. That's what happened to humans as we rebel against God. The patience, see, as you even describe the human uh, 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 condition, the patience of the owner, the patience of God is just unthinkable, illogical. What do you call that? It is called the love of God. It is called the love of God. You know, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the next uh, click, please. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's human nature. We suppress the truth. We kick God out of our sight. We don't want God in our lives. And then the next slide will tell you in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. It says, for although they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became fiddle in the thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they become fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We rebel. We choose idols. We choose things that we can control. We can control idols. We make idols in our own image, you see. And then the next slide in Romans chapter 1, verse 32. Though... They know God's righteous de decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Unbelievable kind of a rebellion that we uh, have demonstrated over the years in our relationship with God. They are like the tenants, way, way too wicked. And at the same time, we see God way, way too patient with mankind. But you know what? At the end of the parable, we see hope in there. And the next slide, uh, a message that is way too amazing in verses 12 to 15. Say, have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is quoted from Psalm 118, verse 25. Now, this Psalm 118 is the same psalm that was quoted when Jesus entered Jerusalem, when they shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. That was the psalm that they were singing to Jesus, hoping that he will be the political deliverer. But Jesus did not come as a political deliverer. Jesus came as a savior of the world to, 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 be, uh, to, to offer himself as a sacrifice for us, to redeem the world, to be reconciled with the Heavenly Father. The psalm here, explains that the one who is rejected and murdered, he will be vindicated. 
Okay, the block of stone that the builder discarded becomes the cornerstone or the capstone of the kingdom of God, and the old temple will have to be dismantled, and it was dismantled. So when we come to the message that is so amazing, guess what? The religious leaders they don't get it. They will come back with a vengeance to crucify him in two days. But you know what? The religious leaders are merely instruments in God's hand to complete the plan of salvation. Jesus will be crucified, died, and buried, but he will rise again on the third day to bring salvation to mankind. And whoever is willing to open their hearts to allow Jesus to rule his kingship, his kingdom, to rule in your heart, that individual will be called a child of God. The next slide. And that's the message today, that only Jesus Christ's redemption on the cross can bring reconciliation between sinners and a loving and righteous God. You know, what is your perspective of, on the parable? As audience today, listening to the story, it's a nice story, a little bit violent, so the kids are not here, it's okay. Uh, you know, what is your perspective on that? The whole story being shared, being depicted before your eyes, the, the, the most important point is right now. What is your depiction of that parable? What is your perspective of that parable? You know, for the religious leaders, as they were listening to Jesus talking about the vineyard, talking about the tenants, in their minds, most likely, they will think like, okay, vineyards, our nation Israel, we have lots of vineyards here, so we're always using vineyard to represent our nation, understand? The tenants, who will be the tenants? Roman Empire. The Roman Empire. The ruthless Roman Empire. See, at the time of Jesus, they were under the rule of the Roman Empire. And Roman Empire, the armies are brutal. So these tenants were so wicked, the Roman Empire... So as they were listening, how that tenants killed the servants one by one by one, they were like, yeah, yeah, we can see that. Yeah, we understand that. And then at the end there, they begin to discover that, no, 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 no. Jesus was not talking about the Roman Empire. Jesus was talking about me. Boom. A crude awakening. The tenants are us. The chief priests. The scribes, the elders, the leaders of the nation of Israel at the time of Jesus' time. They suddenly wake up to that reality. The story turned against them, and they are the tenants. Today, as Christians, as we hear this story, we're like, yeah, sure. We, we know who are the tenants. The tenants in today's time, in today's terminology, would be the anti-Christian forces. Okay, the tenants would be the media, the, the secular culture, the ISIS. You know, but as we continue to listen to the parables, we actually begin to see that the tenants can be us as well, because we are given a vineyard to tend to. And the whole idea of tending that vineyard is to offer a portion of it to the owner 
to the Lord, to the Creator of the whole universe. But oftentimes, we declare autonomy and refuse to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We refuse to give back to God what He asks you to manage. Suddenly, we discover the tenant is not as far away as we thought. The tenant is not as different or as, as far as we thought. We can be the tenants when we do not tend to God's desire as we enter into the vineyard of God's kingdom. In our midst here today, maybe this is the first time you come to church. You come to church because of Christmas, because of the invitation of friends, because of family members. You come and gather together. Uh, some of us here, you may be facing uh, different scenarios and, and different state of your relationship with God. We see how historically God and man and, and human has been butting heads in so many ways. Not that God butts against us, but we just refused to give in to God's patience and God's love. For some of us here, you might be struggling with a flight. You want to fly away, you want to go away, you flight from God's wrath and judgment. Your relationship with God is, leave me alone. God, leave me alone. You know, we all have that sin-driven impulses and, and temptations. And, and deep in our hearts, we want to taste that fruit of the good and evil. Okay? But why do you have to say no? Why do you have to be here? So God, leave me alone. For some of us here, we might be experiencing the trauma of God's holiness. See, God's presence is intimidating. It is inhibiting. It is like, oh, the pastor is here. Let's change the subject. You experience that sometimes? As a pastor, you go to a group, suddenly there's quietness. And, and they change topics like, oh, the weather is fine. Let's go skiing and, and things like that. Okay, Why? A certain trauma is being experienced there. Now, now, pastors, we know we are not holy. We know that we are not like God. But in some ways, people relate you to God's teaching, to God's word, or, or some moral standard. So when pastor shows up in some occasions, you know, there's a certain inhibitations and, and intimidate, intimidating experience for some people. So when people are sent to the pastor's table in a banquet, they feel pressure. They have indigestions. It's not a good experience for a banquet, right? And when I was the president of a seminary, I, I see the same thing. The students will not sit, sit with me. Okay? So when I sit down, it's an empty table all by myself. So I learned, I learned. I let them sit down first, then I joined them. And whoever dared to stand up and walk away will see me in my office, you see. No, no, it didn't happen. But just the nature of relating someone with authority and power and representation of holiness, of morality, of truth of the Bible, of God, a representation of God maybe, that draws people away. There's a trauma of God's holiness that we felt the pressure. And others may be experiencing the fear of, of nakedness. Like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. After they sin, after they have taken the, the fruit of the good and evil that God says you should not eat, and they ate. And when God came for the fellowship time, guess what? They were hiding away. And, and God says, where are you? 
They say, well, I'm afraid to see you, God, because I'm naked. And God says, who told you that you are naked? It was a good excuse, right? I I'm shameful. I I'm not dressed up. I'm not ready for that occasion, right? So I'm hiding. But God did not let them use excuses. And God was saying, who told you that you are naked? It was sin. It was a serpent who had tempted them. And they gave in to temptation. They felt naked. It was sin. So you can find excuses. You can find all other reasons why I'm not in church, why I'm not connected with God, why I'm not, you know, following Jesus, why I, I have bad experiences. I have met many hypocrites. You know, church are not doing their jobs. And you can find excuses. But ultimately, when God says, who told you that? You'll find the answer to be sin. It's sin. It's rebellious against God that did all that to us. Some of you may be experiencing that right now. And you need to be reconciled with God. And ultimately, for human being, we have a quest for autonomy. We want to be all that we can be. And we want to push God out of the picture of our lives. And guess what? When we want to be all that we can be, we tend to be overdoing or we tend to be underdoing. Okay, either way can happen to us. But God sets the boundary for you to exercise your free will. God gives us free will. Okay, we are made in the image of God. God gives us free will. God is sovereign. He gives us a portion of that. But that free will has to have boundary. And God sets the boundary. Then you can be all that you can be. It's like in the Garden of Eden, right? All the fruits you can eat except that. Accept that fruit of the good and evil. Accept that one. Be free. Do whatever you want within the Garden of Eden. Accept that. And you need that. I need that. I need that boundary so that I can be free in Christ and be free in what He wants me to be. And today, some of you are experiencing that. So as you hear the parables, and maybe you see God is way, way too patient with me. And I'm way, way too rebellious. I'm way, way too wicked. But today, we see that God's message is just way too amazing because Jesus Christ will come and die for us so that we can be reconciled with the Heavenly Father. That Jesus' redemption on the cross can bring reconciliation between sinners and a loving and righteous God. And that's the good news of the Christmas. And that's the good news that we want to share with you today. And I hope that you will have a chance to pray and to be reconciled with God. And I hope that as you run away from God, as you kick God out of your life, as you try to live in autonomy, hoping that you can achieve it and you can be yourself and you can achieve your full potential, knowing that actually it did not happen. You become more miserable. You become more miserable. You can't control your own life. You can't even say no to yourself. That's how sad the state of human being are today. We can't even say no to ourselves. And how can we take control of our lives? And that's why we need God. We need Jesus to come into our lives to, to lead us. And today, I'm going to invite you to follow Jesus and be free. Follow Jesus and be freed. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that can come to you as well. Let's pray. As we pray today, I want to uh, give a special opportunity for those who want to follow Jesus and be freed to have a chance to do that on your own. I know many of you feel uncomfortable to raise hands and express anything, but you can do it on your own. That in your heart, you pray to Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you for being so patient with me. Thank you for giving me so many opportunities to hear of who you are, and to hear of your gospel. I've been too rebellious. I've been too far from you, finding excuses and all kinds of reasons. But today, I want to be reconciled with God. Today, I want to come home. I want to come back to God. Because on my own and in my autonomy, I can't really live my own life. I can't really realize my full potential. Because I'm created by you, and you are my creator, and only you know what I need. So I want to receive Jesus into my heart and ask Jesus to forgive my sins of rebellion against God and continue to follow Jesus all the days of my life to be disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, you can do that. You can pray that prayer by opening your hearts to allow Jesus to rule in your lives, and you follow Jesus all your all your lives, all your days, and be freed. As the Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old has passed and the new has come. And this is our prayer, that you will have that new experience, new journey with Jesus. You can pray that prayer anytime that you are ready, either now or when you go home and find a quiet place and do that prayer. And open your hearts to Jesus, and He will come into your heart. And He will rule your heart, and He will guide you, and you'll be free in Christ. Father, we are so thankful for this parable. Because we see ourselves in a parable. Even as Christians or non-Christians, we see ourselves in a parable. And yet, you are so amazingly patient, so amazingly loving with us. And today, we pray that Many hearts will open and to receive you, to be Lord, to be Savior, so that we can walk with you. Father, we pray that as we journey, Father, as we walk with you, that you will rule in our lives and be our King and be our Lord. Father, we pray for ourselves as Christians, that even as we are given a vineyard to tend to, uh, Father, are we become too autonomous? Uh, are we really surrendering our rights and our lives uh, before you, our God? Father, I pray that you will teach us how to surrender because it is in surrender that we find fullness in Christ. It is in surrender that we find the blessings of God in our lives. I want to thank you for this message and help us, Lord, to walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.